0: Shall we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Holy Father, we are desperate for you today. We need you. All our hope rests in you and only you. We covet your direction, we covet your provision for our lives we desire to honor you to lift up your name to exalt your name above all others we pray that you would make your power and presence known among us lord make your glory to radiate in us and through us and i pray for every person here this morning every household that's represented I pray that You would minister Your grace and Your goodness to them. We all face challenges each and every day. We pray that You might strengthen us, that we would follow You faithfully, that we would obey You diligently. Make us recognize Your providence that's always working. Lord, we ask that you would empower us to rest in you and that we might be filled with your spirit make us gospel people in attitude in deed and in speech i pray that you would give us converts that you would make us faithful disciples equippers in the gospel advance your plans and kingdom through us Lord, give us ears today to hear Your Word. Give us hearts that are ready and eager to obey. We pray that in these moments, that You would continue to conform us, to perfect Your salvation in us. Lord, again, that Your glory might be reflected through us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Today. Amen. We are in Psalm 1, and I want to begin this morning by posing a question to you. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? People respond in different ways, different answers to that question. Some would say, Well, you have to trust in Jesus. Some would say, that it means to be baptized. Others might say it means joining a church, becoming a part of a local assembly, or being discipled, or being moral, or fill in the blank. Not that any of those answers are necessarily wrong, but they don't really get to the heart of the issue necessarily. What does the Scripture say? Let me share some verses from Scripture to help frame our discussion this morning. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me, whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus also said, My sheep hear My voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and they follow me. If anyone serves me, he said, he must follow me, service and fellowship, hand in hand. Where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot follow me. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove and so prove to be my disciples, my followers. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Ephesians 5, verses 6-21, through not going to read it this morning, but you should put that in your pot and think about it later this afternoon. Describes what it means to walk in a way that's following after Christ. The Scripture is filled with instructions... In this matter, Psalm 1 shows us, gives us a picture of what it means, what it looks like to follow Christ. Our world discourages following Christ, does it not? Our world seeks to become an obstacle to your following Christ. Psalm 1 shows us how to follow Christ even even in a world that rejects Him. It shows us a righteous path through this world that is fallen. Now, there are basically two major points I want us to look at this morning. And you can see them very clearly as you review this passage. It's a short passage. I remember this psalm. We, you know, if we were last week, we were talking about psalms that are familiar to us, and all of us probably learned Psalm 23. Early on, you may have been like I was in school. I remember one year at Thanksgiving, we learned Psalm 100. Psalm 34 is right up there. Psalm 1 for me is very important. It's a psalm that really came to my attention as a college student, and I remember sharing it with my grandfather, and uh, that was uh, that was a place where we could connect. I understood what God was saying about manhood, about personhood, about following Christ. And it was a joy for me to engage Him in that way. And it was pleasing to Him that I was gaining that understanding. What do we need to look at this morning? Well, first I want to set the tone by thinking just briefly for a few moments about our broken world. The world in which we live. You know... God created everything, and in Genesis, it tells us repeatedly that when He created everything, He looked at it and said what? It's good. good. He pronounced that it was good. Many people still feel that the world is good. David Allen, a health correspondent for CNN, wrote an article, and this is at least a portion of the title that he used for it. He said, people are inherently good, nonviolent. It caught my attention. I said, I'm not sure. I mean, he makes some good points, but I think he misses the main point. He says, for instance, that, you know, if, if a child is climbing in an area on something, a chair or on steps or something, and poses a danger to themselves, that most people will stop what they're doing and intervene in order to protect the child. That's probably true. Or if you came up on someone who had fallen in a body of water, a river or something, and was struggling to get out, about to drown, most people would take the time and try to find some way to help the person, to bring them to safety. So that's a fair angle to take, I think. Though I don't believe that it is um, as... Widespread as he's saying, I think those are very very specific areas where people would typically do the right thing. But he, he says this, he says the vast majority of people when faced with simple, clear, ethical choices choose good over bad and even good over neutrality. I don't believe that's true. He goes even further, he says we are, quote, hardwired for goodness. Maybe in the beginning, but not any longer. The wiring has become frayed, hasn't it? The wiring has, has shorts in it. Why would I say that? Well, I read a poll that said that one in three people admit to lying, stealing, and sabotaging other people in order to benefit at work. That they have no problems doing that, no qualms. I... I've read articles, and I'm sure you have too, of people who run from dangerous situations, muggings, shootings, someone draws a knife, not as prone to jump in. See, it's easy to intervene with a child because there are no consequences involved. But where there are consequences or a threat that may jeopardize your own health, I think we look at things differently. We kill millions of babies through legalized abortion. Murders continue to rise at an alarming rate. Last July set the all time record for murder rates, gun shooting murder rates in our country at uh, 58 per day. 58 per day. So far this year, in the first five months anyway, of 2021, The average is 54, which is an all-time high for any extended rolling time frame. 8,100 deaths by shooting in the first five months of this year. That doesn't sound like people are inherently good. Bullying is rampant among children and adults. And we're still wrestling with all sorts of bigotry, racism, and abusive behaviors. The evidence is compelling. We live in a broken world. If God made everything good, what happened? You know the answer to that, right? Romans five twelve through 14 says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam's sin turned a good world into a fallen world, into a depraved world. And all human beings enter this world as sinners. Our natural bent is away from God, to run away from God and to run towards sin. That's not inherent goodness, that's inherent badness, right? We are born with rebellious hearts. David speaks about the wicked here. He speaks about the wicked. He's using it as a contrast. He's setting this context for what does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to be a godly person? Verses 1 and 2, he uses it several times. And then verses 4 through 6, he turns his attention primarily toward the wicked. Notice some of the phrases he uses here. The counsel of the wicked. This term is it means guilty, deserving punishment, ungodly. The way of sinners, offenders, rebels, the seat of scoffers. They are derisive people. They are scoffers and scorners and mockers. They're always cantankerous. He describes rebels intent on taking over, having their own way. They are the antithesis of the blessed man. They are not. They are not planted by streams of water. They do not yield appropriate fruit in its season. They wither and fail to prosper. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Now you understand that, right? I don't know how many farmers we have in here, but you understand the winnowing process that takes place with a harvest. You gather wheat or you gather corn or anything, and there's a threshing that takes place in order to separate the grain from the husk and the straw and the stems and all those kind of things. And it literally drives them apart, but it's still in a heap. So then it's tossed into the air with a pitchfork or a shovel or a blanket and a current of air is used to blow away the chaff, the things that you don't want. And the grain, because it's heavier, falls back into a pile. And he says, this is what's going to happen to the wicked. That right now, the wicked and the good, the righteous... The blessed man live together, even in the body of Christ. The wheat and the tares grow together because there's coming a time where God is going to drive the chaff, drive the wicked away and separate. Sinners, David says, will not be part of the righteous congregation That righteous congregation that's portrayed in Revelation 7 verse 9 that says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. No one could number. They are infinite from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, clothed in righteousness, with palm branches in their hands. The sinner, the wicked, is not in that congregation. He has no hope of being in that congregation apart from Christ. The way of the wicked will perish. There's nothing more certain in all of Scripture. Revelation 20 verse 11 through 16 describes for us that great white throne judgment. And those whose names are not listed in the Lamb's book of life will be banished to the fiery torment of hell. Nothing more certain than that. Though for a time in this world, it doesn't appear to be true. We live in a broken world. God has devoted a lot of time in His Scripture to portray that and warn us about this fallen, depraved nature. But then David is focusing primarily on our righteous path through this brokenness. How do we we move through this world? In His infinite wisdom, He has seen fit, even after making us righteous, giving us the righteousness of Christ, making us His own people, adopting us into His family, to leave us here in the midst of all this brokenness. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed are the people, as Mark alluded to earlier. Blessed in in all of its forms in the scripture numbers just under 400 times used in the scripture almost 400 times this this word or its forms are used now I know you've heard it translated as happy I think that's a little bit superficial but I would say more joyful more an abiding joy not just hilarity or happiness blessed is the man he abounds in great riches by the hand of God not material possessions but in the satisfactions and in the contentments that God brings to bear in our lives abundant joy Charles Spurgeon said that it could be translated this way all the blessedness all the blessedness of the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who stands not in the way of sinners, not sitting in the seat of scoffers. He is in Christ by faith. He trusts in God's grace. And you say, well, where do you get that? Well, I look down in verse 3. Verse 3 where it says, planted by streams. This word, shaltai, is an interesting word. It is a word that means literally transplanted transplanted this person these people are transplanted they're the implication here is they're plucked out from somewhere and planted anew by this stream by the rivers of God's grace and mercy and communion and promises back to Romans 5 but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died For if because of one man's trespass death reign through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What does this look like in Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? Spurgeon says, all the blessedness, all the joy and the contentment and the satisfaction, not in circumstances, not in material things, But in God, in His character, in His faithfulness, this is the blessedness. This is the person who opts to trust God's character, rest in God's provision, rather than seek the things of the world or be influenced by the things of the world. He is immune to them to a certain extent. When I read this opening line, it reminds me of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, remember, His disciples gathered together and He began to teach them, the Scripture says. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those, uh, the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Those don't sound like things that we would desire. Those don't sound like the pathway to blessing, to contentment, to satisfaction but they described living in this present world and trusting in God's character. Apart from Christ, it is impossible to adhere to them. It is impossible to to fit this description apart from Christ. In Him, He proves His faithfulness. In Him, there is contentment, satisfaction, joy, and blessedness. Oh, the blessedness. Notice what he says in verse 1. We see this progression. It's a downward progression. The, the blessed man, the blessed person, the person trusting in God, does not walk in the counsel or the advice of the wicked. He doesn't seek wisdom from the world, but he seeks wisdom from whom? From God. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He seeks out the company of a better sort of person. He's still a sinner. He's still walking as a fallen vessel, in many respects, in a fallen world. He still suffers temptation. But he is redeemed by the blood of Christ, and that changes everything. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and renewed in his heart. He is part of God's eternal family and does not content himself to hang with sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. He finds no rest among the mockers and the scornful. He finds a sense of God's presence in his life. Everything's changed. The affections of his heart, the longings of his mind have been changed. He's no longer content with the things that the world offers or suggests. Clearly, when people dwell In sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they listen to the advice of the fallen. Then they not only just pass by and listen, they stop and engage in conversation. And before long, you'll find them sitting, as Lot did in Sodom, among the leaders of the rebellion. Verses two and three, he says, "The blessed man, woman delights in the law of God. He meditates on God's law day and night. He's not under the law as a curse or a condemnation, but he is in the law. He is saturated by God's word. This is what he wants, what he desires. He studies it. He ponders it. He chews on it. He applies it. Does not seek the counsel of sinners, but God's counsel. You remember when Jesus was teaching in John 6, and He got into some really difficult stuff talking about His blood and His body and people, you know, consuming it. And the people who were listening were so turned off by that. They were... they said who can listen to this this is hard stuff and they started falling away and leaving you remember what happened jesus looked around at his disciples the ones he had chosen to follow him and he said do you want to leave too and you remember what peter said peter said lord where will we go i mean we've left everything to follow you but he said you have the words of eternal life The world has nothing to offer but death. You have the words of eternal life. Notice where the righteous are located. They are transplanted. They are planted by the streams of water. Not a wild tree that springs up coincidentally, but planted. Planted by God. Placed there carefully near the streams near that which which supplies feeds nourishes brings vibrancy to the life Matthew 15 Jesus Or John chapter 4 when Jesus encountered the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who'd been married five times and was living with a man who was not her husband. And Jesus asked her for a drink of water and she said, Who am I to give you a drink of water? Why would you ask me this? And remember Jesus got into this conversation and He said, If you knew who it was that we're talking to you, you would ask me for water, living water. Bountiful waters that never go dry. So what the righteous do is they delight in the law of the Lord, and he does prosper them through Christ. He doesn't make them rich, he makes them content. He encourages them. He makes them satisfied with Him. And what do they produce? It yields its fruit in its season. This is an amazing statement, I think. Fruit that appears at the proper time. You know, in our world today, we try to control that, don't we? We pick things green and use all kind of preserving mechanisms and and. Uh, things to try to keep it from getting ripe until we want to sell it and give us a longer selling option, right? You know, If you go out of this country, you go into Africa or India, they pick the fruit when it's ripe and they have to sell it quickly. And there's a lot of spoilage and, and loss there. But the fruit is amazing because it's picked in its right season. You know those mangoes in Senegal, Craig's nodding his head, making myself hungry. We pick things that are green. They're still hard. They're not flavorful. The other day, Paul and Diane brought me some peaches. They know how much I like those, and they brought me some peaches. And I'm going to tell you, that peach was perfect. It had been picked at the right time. It was one of those that when you bite into it, you know, the juice just goes everywhere. And my tongue leapt for joy. It said, I haven't tasted a peach like that in years. It was just full of flavor. It was picked at the right time. He says that the blessed man, the man in the Lord, is used to be fruitful for the Lord because the Lord will produce this incredible fruit through his life at the right time, in its proper season. Not when he wants, but when the Lord wants. It will be his fruit. They have vibrant leaves, which indicate vibrant life. Fall's coming. Leaves are withering and dying soon. My little garden was so beautiful this summer. All the rain we had in the spring and early summer, and it, it was lush and green. And one day I walked out there, and just like overnight, it had turned yellow. Why? Rivers of water are no longer flowing. And it dried up just like that. And all the signs point to death. Our world faintly reflects the majesty of the Creator, but our world currently is fallen and broken, sin-filled and depraved. It's hard to follow Christ in a world that resists and rejects Him and oppresses His people. No matter how well intended humans are, they cannot change it. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like all mankind. But God has made a way. He's preparing to make all things new again. Verse 4 of that same chapter says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, has made us alive together with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Oh, this is good news. God plants us by His rivers of grace and communion. We are His workmanship created in Christ for good works. And there you may be nourished and be vibrant by His Word. In Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. You can't do this on your own. You can't thrive, even survive this world on your own in your own strength. But the Spirit of God dwells in us. He gave Him another like myself, He says, to dwell in you, to always be with you, never leaving you or forsaking you. Every day we rise, and if you're like me, you get sucked into the busyness of this world, and you forget, you can forget who's on board. And you can go about the challenges of the day trying to make everything work out the way it should, trying to produce that fruit in and of yourself and through your own power. And no matter how hard you work, the fruit is always green and hard and bitter, or it's past ripe and it's rotten and smelly and nasty. But when we give ourselves over to the filling of God's Spirit, we surrender ourselves to His power working and operating in us, He produces fruit in the right season that is flavorful and enduring. He says in His Word that it is fruit that remains. What a promise that is. You grow in dependence and submission to Him, and He produces this fruit by His Spirit in you. Galatians 5 is a vivid picture. Even a contrast between those who try to walk in the flesh and those who walk by the Spirit. And there, planted by God's river of life, He prepares you for eternity. Revelation 22. Listen. Listen carefully to the connection here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. It's always harvest season in the kingdom of God. The leaves of the tree... Yes, we're walking through a broken world. We're walking through a fallen world. But that new world is coming. The new world is waiting. This world is dying. And from the death will come forth the resurrected new creation. And what a joy it will be. Those who repent of sin and turn to Christ believing the gospel, they will be planted by this river of life. And He will give them a genuine taste for His goodness. They will recognize the wickedness of this world and lose its appeal. The affections will fade, being transplanted. In Christ, their interest in this world's conversations will fade. In Christ, our desire for dwelling among the wickedness fades. Oh, the blessedness. Oh, the blessedness of such a life. The contentment and satisfaction to come. The old hymn says, When I shall reach that happy place and forever be blessed, when shall I see my Father's face and in his bosom rest? I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Father, thank you for this glorious hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Yes, Lord, we live in a fallen world that is dark and dank and bitter. But Lord, the sweetness of your grace and mercy supersedes all that this world offers, continues to remind us of that better world that's coming, that better land before us. Lord, I pray that You would make us faithful. Faithful during this season, Lord, where we face the resistance and the rejection and the oppression and the depravity. For it will all be worth it when we're gathered together in Your presence. I pray for those in our midst today who do not know You, have not experienced this saving faith in Christ, that today would be the day of redemption for them. That today they would turn to You in repentance and faith Believing the gospel and being forever saved and joined to your family. Lord, in those of us who are struggling with this life, finding difficulty to go one day after one day after another day and face all of the troubles, that you would keep our eyes and our hearts focused upon the promise that awaits us, a promised land, a promised city, a life everlasting in Your presence. and All of the things that represent brokenness and despair and depravity will forever be cast away. Lord, lift us up, strengthen us, empower us to be Your faithful people. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen.